Hello everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. It is Andy here, hope you're doing well. And this week we are talking about our recent experience. We just finished last week at Kiwa Island, amazing win at the US PGA for Phil. And what we thought we'd do today is actually create a podcast where we share with you 10 things that can help you and that we learned from the PGA that you can apply to your game straight away and hopefully see some improvements. In this podcast, we also talk about Aaron's experience, one of our player, Aaron Rye. He was there and we were there with him behind the scenes. We talk about some of the things that we learned from him and what he was faced with and what it was like walking the, the course and behind the ropes. And also what Phil Mickelson did, what we noticed about him and some of the things that he's talked about in the press and the media that helped him win that could potentially help you too. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. Should we go talk about Aaron? Yeah, let's get into Aaron a little bit. I mean, look, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, he got to 70th in the world last year, no, this year, sorry, this year, got to 70th in the world after coming 18th, I think, in the WGC, you know, he, which is a great event, um, you know, did really well, beat some top, top players in that. You know, he wins the Rolex event last year, Scottish Open, which is just uh, brilliant. I think it would be easy to look at what Aaron has done and it would be, it would, it would be, high, it would be easy to have really high expectations on what he should achieve in this USPGA. But since his second major so it's only his second major of his career and I think going into it he's hitting it really well he's hitting it brilliant he's in it well on the range and we're looking at him going wow he's good and he was really calm he was very good he was different to Aaron Hills he got more the, when he played Aaron Hills he didn't have the game to play that golf course it was the worst golf course he could have played for him because it was all about long and being you know beast and high ball flight they were the two things that he just didn't have he now has got those so he's, he's much more equipped to play well and I do really believe that he, not that we're betting people, but I think he could win in the next couple of weeks, I really do, based on what's happened. But all it is really for him is it's just another major in the bank gaining great experience. And I think that's what it's about now for him when he's playing in these top events, these majors, these WGCs, that he is just there developing his comfortability of being in that arena with all these great players but also on the way that these courses are set up because they are set up differently and he's just not really used to those greens that are like that where you know we're walking on the even on the putting green you're looking oh, it's hard to read that is I've, I've never seen anything like that from a from a um i feel like i'm quite good at reading greens but when i stand on the green and go i can't really see the break here um because it's just it's such a different surface than you're used to um, and obviously the best players in the world, they're probably a little bit more conditioned than Aaron mm. on these. But it's interesting because we spoke to Paul McGinley again a bit about with Aaron on this. And he was talking about, look, you've got to be patient. The game's there. It's just getting used to these big events and the conditions and what's all around this. And I think a lot of you guys listening and watching this, that one of the things that a lot of people always ask is, how can I really be better under pressure? How can I be better when it matters, when you've got a scorecard in your hand? Well, the key thing to doing that is, yes, you can... You can think about your breathing and your physiology and things like that, but just doing it often, putting yourself in a scenario that you are, you're feeling the nerves, you're feeling the pressure, you know, doing that as much as you can makes a big difference. You know, putting yourself in, in an environment that actually is going to test your nerve and test you. It's really hard to condition yourself if you don't put yourself in that scenario often. What you do off the golf course, it, you can do some things, but it's really hard to, to simulate the real game. And I think the more you can do it and put yourself in that scenario, as we know with Aaron, if Aaron gets another 10 majors in his bag, he's going to be really comfortable. Mm. And do we seek to think Aaron could win a major? I, I think he's yeah, got yeah. the game for it. For we sure. were really impressed. I think 
There's not many times that necessarily we're super impressed with Aaron. There is because he's got so much to so much there, but I think probably doing him maybe a bit of um, injustice there. But I think from a ball striking and, a, and an athleticism, mm. that's probably the, what what we're probably more more impressed with now because he's transformed his ability to hit. Yeah, he, he's now a strong hitter, and you're watching yeah. him on the range, and you're going, "Wow, he can really hit the golf ball mm. out there." And we were impressed with that because we haven't seen that, and there's a bit of a, a process over the last few years that's been you know, building to that. And he's certainly more of an, a, an athletic golfer now, which is really encouraging. And um, I think the biggest thing for, for Aaron is that, that the great thing about it is that um, big learning for us is that having a, a great system and a simple system on the greens is, is really important. And I think that's something that he will go away from this tournament and refine and improve and simplify and, uh, and really nail down to, to make things a bit more simple and easier for him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that, if we look at, I mean, you can, stats are, are amazing and they, they are very, very insightful and very important for us in what we do, especially we're trying to shave off, you know, the difference between Aaron saving a quarter of a shot around. I know you can say, well, how do you do that? But over a season you can. A quarter of a shot around for him for the year is huge. It's a, it's, it's a massive difference in, in money earned, positions, order of merit, um, order of merit and world rankings. But if, if we look at what he did for off the tee for the first two days, he was in the top five of strokes gained in both days with the best players in the world. He can mix it up with those guys and he is as good as those guys off the tee. He's not as long as Phil and Kepka and those guys, but as a strokes gained model, he is brilliant. He is designed to play these golf courses. When the, when the going gets tough on a golf course, his caddy talks about this. He says, whenever there's a, Jason is caddy, whenever there's a really difficult tee shot and he's going, oh, this is going to be tough. He just steps up and rips it exactly where he needs to. So he, there's no issues there really at all. He we were saying the other day, Aaron, Aaron's straighter with his driver than we are with a wedge. Aaron's straighter with his driver than he is with a wedge. <laughs> he, he is that good with a driver. It's it's unreal, really. Yeah. And I think you know one of his it's one of his strengths. And it's it's such a great thing to watch. Somebody yeah. who's got that much control of curve and spin and height, mm. unbelievable. Yeah, really good. I've, really I've good. never seen anybody anybody as good as Aaron with driver. No, he's not. He's, there isn't. As you're right. I mean, there's more impressive people to watch hit it. But that's a different discipline to playing four-round tournaments and, and you know, under the gun. But I think you know you look at the rest of his game and how it compared with stats and also with what we saw. You know the approach play could have been sharper, but I think you've got to look at it and go these upturned saucers, fast greens, windy, difficult short game shots. And if we actually look at what he did with his short game, his short game held up really well. It was really good. His bunker play was really good, which has not always been great, but he's improved that a lot. Short game, some of the shots, he's got this 64 degree wedge he uses, just phenomenal. The one shot was so hard and he checked it by checked it by the hole, dancing by the hole, it was brilliant. 14, I think that was, 14 yeah. par three, missed it right. Massive elevation and Isn't he knocks it? it to like a foot, which was just brilliant to watch. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's the shot he couldn't play even like a year ago, maybe just before lockdown. He get that, and It was only lockdown that's allowed us to be able to get that shot working. So... He's definitely in a good place there. The, as I say, the irons could have been a little bit sharper, but that was more down to the fact of the situation he was in from the pressure and the whole thing of the situation of the, the, the major championship potentially, but also just the fact that, look, if you miss the green in the wrong place, you're in trouble. So he's probably a little bit safe on some of them. And yeah. didn't, quite, didn't quite get the wind as well as he normally does. He has this low flight. He has three flights that he uses a one, two and a three and his 
Didn't really use many one flights, and his two flight probably could have been a little bit better, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Lots of positives, though, with Aaron. I mean, he's, he's such a great golfer, and um, for us, there's, uh, there's so many opportunities for him to grow. So it's, gonna, it's exciting to see where he's going to be. And I think the one real positive for Aaron is he felt comfortable. Yeah. He said that he felt comfortable and calm out there and, um, and really enjoyed himself as well, which I think was good. So. And, th- and, th- and this is what it boils down to. And this is, this, is the, this is the hard part with these major championships. And it's kind of like playing in a World Cup final in football or, you know, at the real elite level, there's such fine margins. So Aaron has a tee off on, on Thursday, tee off at 10 past one in the wind off the back nine. So he's got 10, 11, 12, 13 downwinds. So he, 10, he actually pulled his second shot a little bit and it went really close. Um, he, he missed the putt. It's 11, he's three putted from the front edge on a par five. So he's got a par there. He's three putted the next hole from probably 20 feet, 25 feet. And then he has, uh, he, he two putted from distance on the next one. So after the first four holes, he's, he's one over par where he could easily have been one under. But now he's got to turn and play nine holes into the wind, including 17 and 18. And again, he missed a shortish put on 14 after playing a really good bunker shot. He up and down a bunker on 15. 16 had a good chance, but then 17, 18, double, double. Yeah. And, and, and his double on 17 was not that hard to do. Yeah, it, yeah it's a beast. It just shows you can be hitting it, hitting it so well. Just because you're hitting it well doesn't guarantee you're going to have a good score. No. And I think this is what golf is like. You can hit it fantastic on the range and go, right, I'm really ripping it today, but you've got to make the right decisions. You need to be able to have a good short game and all the rest of it. There's a big whole package there that's involved. Okay, right. Let's get into let's get into Phil, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into the tip the tips because I've got to, one thing I need to do we before we go into the tips that, um, that you can take from this. I've got just from when we were talking there is one thing about about um, backing up pressure, practice, and things like that. I want to talk to you. This is a story we had when we were out there. But you, you start on Phil. You start on okay, Phil. Okay, so, look, so Phil, obviously, um, he, I mean, his interviews, he talked about some of the different things that he's been doing. Apparently, he's been doing a lot of yoga, and he always talks about his coffee, because he's got a coffee <laughs> brand that he wants to promote. So I'm sure that's a little bit of um, marketing in there as well. But you can see he looks fit. He's probably the fittest he's ever been. Yeah. His speed is still up. I mean, he knocked it down past... Um, past Brooks on the 18th, he absolutely hit a, a bomb. Yeah, 16 was the longest drive there on, the, yeah, on that day I mean, as well, 360. 50 years old and, and, um, and hitting it that far, you know, that helps around that golf course because he, he was in the rough on the last but still managed to knock it close as well. So obviously that's a key thing for him, distance, looking after his body. One of the things that was really noticeable about Phil is that normally he's walking around, smiling at the crowd, eyes wide open and just embracing the experience. This time you could see in between shots his... He's taking deep breaths. He, he wasn't really looking at the scoreboards. He was really w- gone within himself and sort of almost trying to block out everything else. Mm. You can see the, how important this was for him. He was going from a different um, strategy from himself, getting very much focused on him as opposed to actually acknowledging all the crowd and speaking to the fans and all the rest of it. So that was interesting to see him doing that. And I think sometimes... Um, as a good strategy for somebody who gets maybe a little bit nervous in in their tournaments to be able to go, okay, I'm going to maybe just go within myself and just think about, well, let me focus on my game, block out what the rest of the playing, your playing partners are doing and things like that as well. But So I was interested to see him do that. Um, one thing he said on the 13th on the uh, Saturday, on the Saturday he hooked his shot into the water, didn't he? And somebody asked him, I think, you know, how did that influence you when... Louis knocked his in the water as well. Um, I think Louis knocked it in first. Knocked it in first, actually. for the three, would you? Yeah. 
he says, did, it, did that influence you at all? And he was like, well, look, none of the players out there are going to influence my game. This is, I'm in control of my game or something like that anyway. But it's a great thing to understand that, and part of him going into himself was that he was just focusing on what he could control himself. The other guys he weren't, wasn't really aware of. He wouldn't let their decision influence him. And how often do you guys on the tee, if you're standing on the tee and your playing partner pulls out a, a hybrid for safety and you're thinking it's driver, how often do you go, oh, he's hitting hybrid. Should I hit hybrid? Oh, maybe I'll hit hybrid here or, or whatever it is. And mm. you get influenced by the, uh, the environment and your playing partners around you. So for him to just stick to his game plan, think about what he can control, not worry about what anyone else is doing and just focus on what he's doing, I think was a, a massive plus for him. And obviously it, uh, it helped as well. I think, I think you, you look at, there's a few things that allude to this going under the radar thing and the sunglasses thing is an interesting one because um, if, I'm going to, if I'm going to the gym and I want to do a really good workout, I'll make sure my headphones are on because I don't want anyone talking to me, <laughs> if that makes sense. Sometimes when you put something on your head, like the, you, you got, probably can't put the headphones on in the golf course, but sunglasses is a very good way of not connecting with people. It definitely takes away the connection. We talk about it in videos if wear sunglasses, it doesn't look so good. And I think that might even be part of it. And you could definitely see when he didn't have the sunglasses on in a few of the shots, he was closing his eyes a lot in his pre-shot routine. So he's obviously got some things that he's worked at to help him with this. And this all relates back to yoga and meditation, which obviously very closely linked. Even to the point when he hooked that three wood or whatever, I think, I think it's a tailor-made mini driver that mm. he was using. I can't be confirmed, but it might, that three wood might have been a tailor-made mini driver. Um, sorry, Callaway, if that is the case. But... When he, when he hooked it in there into the water, you could see him breathing quite a lot. And I'm like, well, he's not out of breath here. It's almost like he's trying to get rid of the bad shot, almost maybe, by his breath, but who knows? But the one thing that really stood out, I mean, as much as, as good as he was with his irons and things like that, as long as he was with his driving, he mastered the par fives. He was eight under par for the par fives. But he finished seven or six under. Um, I think he finished seven, think seven six, or six, six uh, under maybe. Maybe seven because he birdied seven. To, uh, yeah. He birdied seven, 16, didn't he? Yeah. Either either way, he was the reason oh, he no, was. He bogeyed, I mean, he bogeyed 17. Bogeyed 17. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say that, yeah, he won the tournament because of the par fives, of course. Of course, it's the whole 72 holes, but that's where he, he got his credit in the bank almost. Yeah, yeah, he made the most of those, didn't he? So, so my, my quick one as well. And oh, also as well, congratulations to Derek Weder, who's a, a friend of ours, and Dave Phillips, who've definitely been involved with, um, with, with Phil. Derek on his putting side and Dave Phillips on the fitness side and the coffee side, actually. But Andrew Getson, we don't know Andrew, his coach. We haven't met him yet. I think it'd be quite cool if we were able to meet him at some point and just sort of uh, pick his brains on things. But anyway, going back to what you said about the, the um, practicing pressure and situations and things like that. So I posted a video yesterday in the Take Charge group of a chipping competition between Harrington and Justin Rose. And I then put a post in there in the group. And I was just putting a post up there. Originally, I was putting the post in there talking about, you know, how cool is this to see that Justin Rose and Padraig Harrington are doing, you know, a competition after their round on Friday and they're actually paying for a bit of money and... But then I went, hang on a bit. The reason we knew that this was happening is because Harrington's actually told us how he says in his word that he's really struggling with his, his chipping even to the point where it's a bit yippy with his chipping. And we're obviously watching him play these shots and going, it uh, doesn't look like that at all. 
But what I did with my post in the group, then I went from posting a cool video to actually posting the video and going through the 13 stages of how to get rid of your yips and chipping. And I didn't even think of it that way. And that's the only reason I went through it that way was they're the stages that I went through with my issues with my short game. But I think I got up to like 12 or 13 on these things. So there's all the things you need to do. You need to think about your concept, your equipment, your, your whole mindset. And then you have to practice to not to a target and just practice on just interaction with the ground and all that sort of stuff. But the real important thing to do is once you feel like you've improved technically and you've improved your concept is you need to go and pressure it, put pressure on it. And that's exactly what Harrington was doing. He's probably looking around the putting green going, right, I want to pressure myself. I want to pressure myself. Who yeah. am I going to pick? Right, Justin, JR, come over here. Short game, up to 10, 100 bucks, whatever they paid for. And you beat him. And th that was there to put pressure on himself to stress what he's been doing to see if he could break it and see if it could hold up under pressure. Yeah, yeah. That's generally, I mean, it might be that if you are if you want to improve your driving, that you take your mate on 14 shots, drive 14 between two targets and the loser has to clean the other person's clubs. No point handing money over or buying someone a drink because you're going to do that anyway. Clean their clubs, tee their ball up for the next time they play. That hurts. Yeah, do you know what? <laughs> it is, if, one thing, if, if I had to play tournament golf again, if you said to me, right, okay, you're going to play tournament golf again um, and compete, that what I wouldn't do is, yeah, I'd be working at my swing and going into my game, but what I wouldn't do is just go on the range and work at it. I'd be yeah. going, right, okay, what I need to do before that event, I need to get some real competitive games that really mean something. So when I step on that first tee, it feels the same. Mm. If, I did, if all I did was practice and play safe and play with my mates and nothing felt any different, I would stand on that first tee and I'd be very nervous. Yeah. Whereas if I was like, right, I'm gonna pressure myself, I'm putting some something, some consequence into this game of golf, play with some new people, put something on the line, it makes a big difference. Like, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point in pressuring yourself and, and really being purposeful with that. Hi everyone, Andy here, just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans and we've seen some amazing results from these plans and these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game so you don't have to think or worry about what to do we tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score fix a slice improve your putting or short game we have a plan that will suit you we're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well and we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game. So make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. Okay, should we get into the tips? Yeah, get into those top 10 tips. I'm okay. just, going to, just going to leave the area just for this quick moment. That means a toilet break, but you can carry on with okay, that. Okay, toilet break. Right, okay, that's fine. <laughs> so I'm going to go into just, I'll go for the first five and then um, we'll get back into Pierce. When, when Pierce comes back from the toilet, we'll go into this. It's a number one, so we're okay. <laughs> okay, right. So first tip, this is something you can learn from this. Number one, short game. I think the one, in, one important thing, the one thing that we saw over the weekend is that 
when you play a tough golf course, when you play any golf course, you're going to miss the greens. If you can practice your short game and be great at up and downing and you know getting up and down when you miss a green, first of all, it takes the pressure off your long game shots because you know you've got the ability to, to miss a green and up and down. So it frees you up to hitting the target more. So if, you, if you're struggling with your short game, you know, spend some time. Don't try and play perfect golf and just think, well, I just want to hit every green. Understand that you are going to miss greens every time you go out, but really spend some time in developing the confidence so you, if you miss a green, you know you can get up and down. A lot of people aren't spending that time. Understand the rough, work at different shots, use the clubs, change it up, mix up some short games so you can have the confidence to do that. That is the number one. Okay, number two is wind. Obviously, this week was quite windy. The players have to deal a lot with that. And from our experience, most golfers don't allow enough, enough for the wind. So if there's a hard wind off the left, they'll aim a little bit to the left. And if they've got a little bit of fade spin on that ball as well, well, that ball's missed green right. So all we would say is put that into your plan, allow a little bit more when it comes to the wind. If you're a highly skilled golfer and you can really shape the golf ball both ways, if you've got a hard wind off the left, maybe work at playing a draw against the breeze to try and balance it out. But that's for the higher skilled golfers. But if you are, if that's a struggle for you and you struggle to, to shape it both ways, just allow more, you know, allow yourself a lot more um, distance or, or yards from, from left to right and from, from into or down breeze and, as well. And understand that downwind isn't going to affect it as much and that depending on the course that you're on, as it is into the wind, into the wind is going to be much more of a problem for you. Well, it's going to affect it a lot more. Yeah. Okay, number three is, first of all, we would say hitting fairways is important, obviously, but what we'd say is probably equally as important as hitting the fairways is understanding the rough. Now, how many times, Pierce, do we go out on the golf course with a player, an amateur golfer, mm -hmm. and they're in the rough, and first of all, they're choosing the wrong club, they're not really playing it in the right way. So what we would say is, learn how to actually read the lie. Reading the lie in the rough is, is a crucial part of it that most people actually are underestimating or don't even think about. And this is something that we cover in a lot of our coaching plans on the website, Break 90, Break 100, a lot of the other ones we talk about understanding the rough, even in complete chipping around the greens. It's crucial that you understand how the rough's going to influence it, but then it's crucial that you understand actually how to play at the rough. Generally, we need a steeper angle of attack depending on the lie, but read the lie and then understand how to play it. It's crucial. Spend some time learning that. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you practiced out the rough? There we go. Good question to ask. Okay, number four is from the event, you can see how important distance is. Distance is a massive part because if you are further down the fairway, you have a better chance of getting closer to the hole, even if you're in the rough. So I think one piece of advice that we would say is go and get either a lesson that involves a launch monitor or a fitting because you're going to understand, first of all, if there's any technique um, implications that are maybe causing you to lose power um, or if there's any equipment that you can gain from. I think so many people can benefit from having the right fitting because you can gain so much off that and if you can combine those two together, have a fitting, have a lesson, match those two things up, you can gain 20, 30 yards, potentially more off the tee and I think mm. if you can do that and keep your accuracy, which you should be able to do, um, it's got to be a massive thing for you. Okay, number five, and then we'll hand over to Pierce, is practice 
shaping and creating different shots. So for instance, we knew that last week was um, a shot maker's golf course. You need to be able to control the ball into the breeze, hit some low shots, maybe hit some draws, some fades, be creative. And how many people, how many of you guys actually get on the range and just hit full seven irons? Not actually experimenting with different heights, different distances and working at that. Really say, spend some time on the range, knocking the ball down, um, understanding how to do it. Again, some of these things we cover in Ultimate Irons, some key things that we, that's our coaching plan on irons. Um, how to actually practice this, what you need to do to create that low loft through the golf ball, how we, how we work the swing in a different way. Spend some time doing that and just by practicing it on the, on the range, you'll be able to actually take it to the golf course. We always say never really practice in a tournament what you've not done on the range really before. Yeah. And then we move to number six, Pierce. Number six, say, yeah, patience. I mean, we've mentioned it already. The, oh, crikey. The, the patience required to play golf is, is it's quite extreme, really, if you think about it. And I would say that the majority of golfers, I've never really met anyone where I've gone, oh, they're unbelievably patient. <laughs> and that's the best patience of ever. It just doesn't really happen. I mean, we're, we're the same and we're patient people, but it can get you on the golf course. It really can. And I think that you've got to understand is that, you know, you haven't finished your score until you've walked off the 18th green. So whether you've got a good score going into the last few holes or even if you've got a bad score after nine holes, you, you haven't finished yet. So just, just be patient when you're out on the golf course. And I think, it, I think Phil was incredibly good at showing great patience out there. Um, even, even Kepka as well, really, because things weren't going his way on that on that you on that know, last round but you didn't had no idea that he wasn't playing you know i think he had a little bit of a grumble at the one shot but that was like kind of like well probably saying to his case look i really don't know what i could have done there on that shot and he didn't hit it great on that last day but he still stuck in there and had a chance he, he doesn't give up he's obviously a fighter so look patience is incredibly i, I think i think important. do not give up you know how many times mm. people get through nine and go oh my score's gone now Done. i might as well just give up i'm not you know i'm not going to try anymore if you can just carry on and work hard until it's done no matter what the score is you can learn so much and and gain so much from you could have a 10 over par front nine you but you could have a level par back nine and go wow i'm glad i stuck in that because yeah. look what i've look what i've achieved on that back nine if you just stay with it you just stay hopeful and you you don't give up until that last putt's gone in the hole. You know, it, really, it really frustrates me when I see somebody and they, they've had a bad hole and then they just go, well, I'm not bothered anymore. Yeah. And they hit a putt with no care or attention. Give everything the same care and attention, no matter what the score, and just keep trying, keep working hard at it. I think, I think Tiger's definitely the best at that. I mean, I can't see, I, I don't think, I can't think of anyone better no. than him. I mean, he's, he's going on record and he'll always say it and he, you know, every shot gets the care and attention that it needs and it doesn't matter how well or how badly he's playing. I mean, what was that one? Was it 12 at Augusta? Was it, was it last year at the Masters in November? When he had like a he had like a seven on the twelfth or something like that, and then he went he birdied in pretty much. He had like four birdies in five holes. It was yeah. I, I can't remember his last Masters or one before. I think it was the one before. One before because he won last one, didn't he? No, no, that was the one in November. One in November. Yeah, sorry, it was yeah. yeah. Um, right, okay. So number seven, acceptance. <laughs> and Handy's actually wrote here, what's done is done. So I, I think that. You really have got to look at those players like Van Royen and, and, and look, it's, as I said, it could have been the fact that they've just got hard hole after hard hole after hard hole. But if you, if you can put behind a bad hole and that hole is gone, it's nothing you can do about it. My next job is to, the, the worst thing you can do, 
And I would do this when I was playing, when if I was playing in matches, and I don't know whether I was the same. I can't remember whether I was the same because I wouldn't say I was an amazing mental player when I was a younger player. But I always knew when I was going to beat somebody because they would be bitching and moaning about what's just happened. And I, I knew in a match play situation that I'd got somebody if they started moaning about what's going on on the golf course or what's just gone on with their shot, how unlucky they were or how bad their shot was. That just doesn't put you in a good state. Now, Tiger, again, let's relate it to him. He can do that. He can, he can have an outburst, but he will never take it to the next shot. And that's what you have to do. If you have an outburst, that's fine. Or if you don't want to do anything, then that's probably better. It's definitely a better way of doing it for sure. Then that's fine. But don't take it to the next shot. Just make sure that when you've hit a bad shot, it's done. That's it. Next thing. What's the, what? I, I mean, one thing I always say is, I think we said a little bit in the, in, in the last podcast, you know, what do I do next? What is the next thing I need to do? And if you have that as the answer, uh, sorry, the question, the answer will be a lot more palatable. That is for sure. Um, we've got down here is the eighth, that a bogey, sorry, the eighth tip here is a bogey is okay. Sometimes you just have to look at it and go, you know, you're striving for par all the time and you want to get birdies, but actually a bogey is okay. So think of this. If we asked every player on Thursday and Friday, what do you think about the 17th and the 18th at Kiro Island? Oh my goodness, they're so hard. It's like even 17's on the forward tee and it was 200 yards into the wind, really, really hard par three. And then you've got par par 418, 505, into the wind, uphill. You know, some of them couldn't reach with a drive and a three wood and they're going, it's a really hard par four. But what about if we flipped it a little bit and said, well, what about if they were, a, if 17 was a par four and 18 was a par five? Suddenly, if I said to Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, you know, Roy McIlroy, the 17th is a par four now, what's your mindset? Oh, it's actually not too bad. It's quite easy. If 18 was a par five, well, that's okay. I can get close to the green in two. I can actually have a chip and a putt for a birdie. So sometimes the fact it's a par on the scorecard can actually give you a little bit of a, can give you a few issues. So if you actually said to yourself, well, look, a bogey is okay here. Look, I know that this hole here is a really tough hole. This par four, I cannot reach in two. So I'm going to make it a par five in my mind. And if I walk off with a five, I'm totally accept that. And I'm not going to beat myself up because I've made a four on a 460 yard par four uphill. I, th I think it's crucial again for you guys. If you think about the golf course that you play on a regular basis, if there's one hole that's really tough, let's say it's a par four, I always remember the, the, the eighth at Oxley, mm -hmm. tough par four. And when I was a kid, I'm like, well, actually a, a five here is a, a good score. Yep. You know, if you can get off with a five there, it's not a bad score. So playing it for a five is okay because you've got shots. If you're a handicapped golfer, you're going to make bogeys. So play that as a five, give yourself a chance. And I think it's, it can really save your shots if you're in that, man that mentality rather than trying to play for pars. Um, it's a great way of thinking about it. I, I would even, yeah, I would even say that it doesn't even necessarily have to be a hard hole. It can be a hard hole for you. So we talk about nemesis holes and holes that you struggle on to play well because it doesn't shoot, uh, suit the shape of your shots or, or whatever. That, treat it as a, a shot harder, you know, as a shot higher, sorry, from a par index. So let's say it's a par four, make it a par five. Nothing wrong with that. Make it a par six if you have to, if it's a par five. Okay, number nine. So where you can definitely not miss. We've alluded this to this already. So there were some other examples of these where there's places on the golf course that's Kiel where you couldn't miss. I'm trying to think of a different one to 17. Probably... Three long. 
<laughs> yeah, three long was was there's definitely not <laughs> three long was definitely. I mean, yeah. So there's there's definitely going to be a hole that you play at your golf club where you look at it and go, well, last time I played this hole and I was in that back left bunker, it was dead. I got no shot. So understand when you're playing a hole, where can I definitely not miss this? And then saying to yourself that it's it's how do I put it into my strategy then to avoid that? So for instance, if I'm gonna ask Andy this question actually. So if we were playing 17 on Thursday afternoon or Friday afternoon when the wind was blowing into, and I think it was into off the left on Thursday and into off the right on Friday, and this often changed from left to right as well, by the way, but that was the predominant wind. How would you have played that hole? I would have been aiming at the front, pass, front portion of the green, Sam Horsfield, we watched him play the shot and he wasn't playing for the pin because he hit iron. He played for the front portion of the green, left side of the green, but he hit it. I think he hit it where he wanted to hit it. Yeah. If he would have pulled it, it would have been in the bunker. If he would have pushed it slightly, it probably would have been still okay. It would have been a really bad shot for him to, to be in the water. So basically what Andy's saying there is that he's aiming for the left half, sorry, the left front left part of the green, but he's making sure if he misses, and this is gonna bleed into the next tip, actually the final tip, He's making sure that if he misses that part of the green, sorry, he's going to be missing it on the correct side, not on the right side in that instance. Yeah, probably, that to be water. fair, I would probably aim at the bunker. Yeah. Probably aim at the bunker because if I miss it right, I'm on the green. If I miss it left, I'm, I'm okay still. 100% I'd be aiming for that bunker. Yeah. And, and actually in the bunker, it's okay as long as, you, as long as you can get the ball out of the bunker okay. It is interesting though because how many amateur golfers would stand on a par three and go, right, I want to be in that bunker. <laughs> no, you would not. Not many think golfers that. would do that, mm. but I think it takes a lot of thought and just a okay. Well, actually, that's not. A, yeah, that's probably a good strategy. Mm. Let's hit it in the bunker, and let's see if I can get up up and down at the bunker. But the worst I'm going to make from there is a four, which is fine on that on that hole because yeah. it's a real brutal hole. Yeah, I agree. I so agree. think about that. You don't always need to be on the green on a par on a par four or three. Think about yeah. aiming for the bunker if it moves you away from the no go areas. Yeah, and this this goes a little bit into the tenth one, which is not getting suckered into flags. So. Again, on that course, if you went pin hunting on some of those holes, flag hunting, you are going to put yourself in trouble potentially. You could get you could get away with it, but it's difficult to get away with it through the course of 18 holes, obviously. So here's, here's the best tip I will ever give anybody, I would say, when it comes to iron play strategy. Don't even look at the flag, aim for the middle of the green. Because the chances are that if you are able to hit the middle of the green, then you would... Uh, let's say you were really bad at darts and I said, and we were saying like hit the dartboard, all you need to do is hit the dartboard to get a point. We'd be going straight for the middle of the board, we'd go for the bullseye and just aim for the middle of the green. Now, it's also okay, let's say that the, you've got the, um, let's say you, we're talking about the 17th and the flag is short right. You know, middle of the green is great going for that, but it's also okay to actually aim for the left side of the green or even just missing the green because then you've just got an easier short shot. So don't think that you've always got to go for the middle of the green. It might be, let's say you've got that hole on 17 where it's hard wind from left to right. You know, say to yourself, I'm just, if I can get it on the left side of the green or just off the left side of the green, that's absolutely fine. Because then I've got a very simple chip and run to get to the flag. I know it's going to be downwind towards water, but it would be easy enough to almost put that from there. So don't always go for the flag. The easiest thing to do, I would say the worst flag you could ever go for as an amateur golfer is a flag that is short right. So if you've got a short right flag, I wouldn't go for it because what's going to happen is you, if you don't hit the shot well, you're going to finish short right and then you're going to have no shot. So if you've got a short right flag and it's 150 yards that flag, you go for 160 yards left middle of the green. 
that would be my best advice yep. on that sort of show. I agree. I agree. Guys, hope, hopefully that's um, there's some useful look, 10 things that we've, that we've sort of gone through there. And I think there's 10 really great things there that, I mean, hopefully you, you can make some notes on that. Um, but 10 things, that if you apply to your game, these are what the best, best golfers in the world are doing. And none of these are really, none of these are really technique based. Maybe a couple of them regarding sort of maybe some of the creative shots, like the low shots there. But I think some of these are quite easy to put into your game from the strategy side of things. Um, and a lot of these we do cover in the coaching plans on the website, so make sure you check those out as well. But look, what a great week from to be there at the uh, you know at the US PGA at a major. Um, looking forward to seeing Aaron in the Open this year. He's going to be there. Mm. And hopefully, we're going to be there with him St. as George's. well. At St George's down in Kent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that course brings. If mm -hmm. it's as hard, I don't think it will be, but we'll see. Mm, it's hard, on what the wind does. It's a tough, hard, a tough, tough, hard golf course. So we're yeah. going to play that, hopefully. Yeah, we're oh, going yeah, to play that in the Adidas competition. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, so it's going to be interesting. But look, what a great golf course, great experience, and um, great to be a part of it. And hopefully, you've got some useful tips there to take uh, into your game. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Right, we're going to head off this podcast now. We're going to get into the live on the Take Charge group and we're going to answer some questions there. But thanks so much for listening. We don't know what the next one's going to be, but we'll maybe we should guess. just drive up the road and go and see if we can knock on Phil's door and go yeah, and have it. a party and we'll it's podcast that. It's close to here. <laughs> thanks so much for listening, everybody. Cheers, guys. We'll, uh, we'll be on the podcast hopefully uh, very soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.